0: From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between. This is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey guys, welcome back to the Screeners Podcast. My name is Chris. This is Chad. I'm Melody. And I'm Josh. And we are back again to talk all things media. We really love to hear from you. If you've heard anything on the show that you want to talk more about, or if there's anything you'd like, uh, to, to hear us talk about that we haven't talked about, drop us a comment at screenerspodcast.com or send us an email at screenerscast at gmail.com But for right now let's get straight in to today's show jump cut, jump cut. Cut.
1: Well, hey guys, this is Jump Cuts and this is the lightning round segment of the podcast where each of us brings a question to the table and the rest of us have a brief time in which to answer the question. We will try to keep our answers to 60 seconds or less. So here we go with Jump Cuts. Number one. So our first question today is from me and I'm very excited. Well, I think I'm excited. I'm not sure if I'm excited or not, but I'm interested to know what you guys think. Of the fact that Star Trek 3 has announced a new director, because as we know, J.J. Abrams is otherwise occupied with Star Wars. So we have a new director for Star Trek 3. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, yes, Justin Lin, who is the highly acclaimed, not really, director of the Fast and Furious films four through six. And he's also the done some ones. other. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I wouldn't know because I have not seen those movies. <laughs> and Tokyo uh,
0: Drift. Are we including Tokyo Drift on
2: that this was one? Sarcasm. Yeah. I okay. wouldn't. Also, was well, would that number that. two? Or I don't know
0: what it was. What's happening okay,
2: right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he's done some Fast and Furious films. He's also done uh, some other random stuff that nobody really cares about. Annapolis. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh
3: come on, James Franco. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Melody brought her mean hat tonight. She did.
1: I, I mean, this is a big deal. Like, Star Trek, he's the new director of Star Trek, and I don't really know who he is. And
2: Melody's hazing him.
1: Yeah, well, but <laughs> but he is. He's also apparently going to be doing the newborn film, so maybe he's just some magical director that is going to prove himself with the Star Trek film. So, enough for me. What do you guys think about it? First, let's go to Chad. What do you think about it?
3: Well, I definitely loved... The very the first reboot J.J. J. Abrams did, I know it's kind of polarizing amongst the Trekkies, so I'm interested to hear what you guys think, Chris and Melody uh, in particular. Uh, I didn't like the second one as much, but in both cases, it was clear that, I mean, they were well-made. I'm, I'm an a- Abrams fan. This news makes me think, like, what? What am I missing? I mean, what did they see in the... Uh, fast and Furious series to think, yeah, this is the guy to take this this franchise. I think the one good thing about it is that Kurtzman and Ortsy are not involved with the script. And so I think that's one of those maybe addition by subtraction things. But it's hard for me to get excited about this. Uh, but, I, but I tell you what it does do. It makes me interested at least where at least I'll go in and be like, wow, this could really be terrible. But the article said it's going to be more uh, aligned with kind of the traditional story arcs of Star Trek. So maybe that's good. I don't know. It It's it's tough to to put, put this guy in front of it and not be scared. So color me scared.
1: <laughs> All right, Chris, what do you say?
0: Yeah, this news scares me because I feel like what they've done is the first two films, the first film was really exciting and filled with action and adventure, and I feel like they're airing too far on that side now. These are just going to be blockbusters that are fairly mindless. Uh, you know, Fast and Furious. Say what you will about the film, the films, and the franchise. They have their own, you know, almost own genre. They're just silly, uh, crazy action movies. They make a and lot that's of not money. what I, they make a lot of money. But that's not what I want my Star Trek to be. I, think, I know Justin Lin has been praised for his. Multicultural cast. So I'm not sure if maybe that's what they're going for is that they feel like he is really good at bringing and infusing different cultures and, um, you know, it being kind of a a very, you know, well well defined cast of characters. I'm just not, I, I just don't see, like Chad was saying, I don't get this. Um, I wouldn't necessarily choose him to be the director of a Star Trek franchise. And so maybe they see something I don't. But right now I'm in the same camp. I'm really scared for the Star Trek movie franchise. That being said, I've heard rumors that they're going to be doing a television show in uh, of Star Trek. And so I'm really excited for that now. <laughs> I'm hoping that that starts up because the movies I feel like may be going in the way wrong direction. So we'll see.
1: Okay. Josh, what say you...
2: Well, so, unlike Chris and Melody, I have no longer anything to lose with the movie franchise. And so I heard that J.J. <laughs> Abrams isn't directing the next one. I was like, yay. And then I read farther and it was like, no, we're going to bring in the guy from Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. I
3: was Gosh. like, awesome. Chris was excited, though. So, no, I Chris really. Chris
2: was excited in a whole different way. I know. Nope. Um, was nope. That dirty. But... That. <laughs> nope. <laughs> it, it wasn't, but it is now. Thank you, Chad. You're welcome. Yeah, I got nothing on this one. They can they can take JJ J. Abrams movies and make them even worse now. Um Ugh. Go producers. <laughs> uh, Tears. The end. Yeah. Tears. Tears. Yeah, who
0: cares? Well,
1: Let's just see Star Wars. Um, we care. That's the problem, is that we do care. I felt like whoever wrote this article was like kept trying to spin it positively. They're like, but but they say that the show is going to go back to its roots, and they say yeah. that like, oh, he's been, you know, he's going to do the Bourne films, and I'm just like, I just don't really see what positive spin you can put on this right now. But...
2: Place Chekhov really likes him.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah well, good. Be... Good for him. But <laughs> but I was interested that Simon Pegg is writing it. Uh, I don't know if that's a if that's good or not. But that's what it tells me is going to be. A, I like Simon Pegg. in space. Yeah.
2: Well, the original series was just that. No, oh, it no, it not. was not. the original series. Yes, it was. Here Here we we go. Go. It was Batman in space. Ding ding. Pal, all right. zip, sex with green woman. <laughs> oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> it was a western in the stars, my friend. That's what it was.
1: Anyway, I'm not so, super yeah. excited about Justin Lin. I don't think any of us are, but we'll all see it anyways and give our thoughts one day. Maybe it'll the be end. amazing.
0: Maybe it'll be amazing, Melody. Maybe. Or
2: we like your optimism, Chris. Number two. Our second question tonight is we're going to have a little bit of fun. And although I'm leading the question, I have to preface this by saying <laughs> Chris actually gave it to me. Chris <laughs> what? is my muse tonight. So oh, dear. So the question I pose to you, the rest of the screeners, is a simple fill-in-the-blank question, much like you had in high school history class. I wish movies had more blank. And since I'm leading this tonight, I'll start it off and say, I wish movies had more writers because the writers for movies who were good have gone to TV and the movies are terrible. Chris, what do you think?
3: (laughs) All movies are terrible, (laughs) says Josh. Yeah. (laughs) That's
0: that's awesome. All right. Uh, I was going to say, I wish movies had more original IPs specifically original big budget sci-fi um ips you know there's a lot of sequels and shared universes and it's almost become the norm and almost expected that every single big ip now has to be connected in some way shape or form with something else But i really loved last year's edge of tomorrow i just wish we could get more of the i know it wasn't Unfortunately, it wasn't financially successful. And obviously, that's the reason why they're not doing them. But I really found that film to be very entertaining and just so refreshing when you sit down and watch something you truly have no idea what is going to happen. You don't know what the stakes are. You don't know if the main protagonist would, is actually ever really in danger and could actually you know, die. Whereas when you're watching a, a superhero film or um, any one of these shared universes, you you have a pretty good idea that the main character is going to be okay, not die, and there's not really any stakes. Everything can blow up and still he's going to walk away. And I just I feel like we've lost a lot. I enjoy that still, but I feel like there needs to be a more weight pressed on original IPs.
3: Yep. Was a very thoughtful response, Chris. For the record, Edge of Tomorrow made 369 million worldwide. But yeah. it only made 100 domestic. But so it's not a disaster, but not It's a, not a disaster not a what was its budget? a hundred and sixty seven so, so a couple aliens. hundred million yeah it made a profit yep. but not a big one
0: it did but unfortunately they're not gonna you know it, it's still known as a failure for some strange reason and it's 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 just i wish i it just feels like the studios aren't willing to take a risk on something that is unknown and i wish they would because i think it pays off sometimes
1: <laughs> not, not frequently. Sometimes. <laughs> Chris Farrell says it pays off, so take note, you studios.
2: Yeah. Ooh, Melody, that's a nice segue into your turn.
1: <laughs> well, my suggestion probably won't pay off either, but both of your answers were good. I like the writer's answer; that's good, and Chris's answer would have been my answer if he hadn't already said it. But my next answer is that I wish movies had more joy. I feel like I don't mind a depressing film now and again, okay. But I think that at this stage of my life, I am most resonate with movies who that leave me with a feeling of like joy or inspiration. And I don't necessarily really want to be depressed all the time, or just like I don't know. Uh, you know the big the big budget big box office movies are just maybe fun, but not very joy filled. So you know, movies like the Secret Life of Walter Mitty comes to mind we're like that movie you know it's a great experience and it's a great commentary on the human condition but it leaves you with a feeling of of joy and of wanting to be a better person and so i don't think there are too many movies like that and i wish there were more what was that joyful
2: about the kingsman it's very helpful i Thank like you, hope humanity.
3: hope okay that leaves you yet. chad <laughs> <laughs> Mine doesn't really make a lot of sense grammatically, but I wish movies had more, more or less marketing monies (laughs) spent on them. I I think one of the greatest problems that we have in the movie industry now is related to what all you guys are saying, and that is we have massive tentpole releases that are either comic book movies or sequels and then you have movies that are like award season fodder that are their budgets are somewhere in the you know low millions to maybe 10 12 15 million dollars and i think what has happened is this kind of mid tier movie that we used to have with a budget of 50 million or 40 million whatever Um, has all but gone away essentially because it costs so much money to market movies these days that they have to essentially make double their budget just to break even and so as a result I think that we lose a lot of movies that aren't super indie but that are good stories that could be told which affects originality which affects original IPs which affects a lot of different stories that could be told so for me that's it I just I hate the fact that marketing and the budgets uh, related to marketing have become so big and bloated that we've essentially cut out a midsection of a lot of a lot of great stories so
2: that's an interesting answer um, and I agree with you to a certain extent but can you give a couple examples of the movies that were in that category that don't exist now.
3: Okay, so for an example, Josh, I found an article that was talking about the mid-tier, what would be qualified as a mid-tier release, which would be between 40 and 70 million dollars or or thereabouts. Today, the average budget for a studio feature is 106.6 million. And less than three per studio per year is released. Examples of those in the past are, are movies like, and I don't, you, I don't know how you, if you guys remember this or not, but movies like Face Off, The Rainmaker, movies like uh, Kiss the Girls. Event Horizon, you know, stuff like that in the in the 90s and 2000s that were typically made on a budget of between, you know, 20, 30 million dollars. And if they made 60, 70, then it was a profit and they they turned them out. So anyway, it's just one of those things that I just don't think part of this article and we'll link to it in the show notes. It talks about well-known filmmakers that are having a hard time getting their films financed because they're too expensive for the small stuff, but not big enough to get a wide you know, tentpole release. So you've got people like people like David Lynch and even Stanley Kubrick had a long period where they couldn't get a movie financed. So I just think it's a problem because I think there are some interesting stories to be told in directors that need more money to tell their story adequately. But um, if it doesn't fit the studio business model, then those movies don't get made. So I think it's I think it's sad. That's so more money for- and less money. The end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Number three. All right, so to have a fantastic hero, you must first have an amazing villain. And so I was curious what your guys' favorite villain of all time. Now, this can bleed into film, TV, video games, or any other media. I'm just curious, what is your favorite villain of all time, Josh?
2: Me? Okay, well, so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> sure. Anything that is happy. That that. To tell you the truth, I don't walk around with lists like that. So when I read this question, I had to I had to think about it for a while. And initially, I was like, well, you know, I should just go with Boo from Dragon Ball Z because for those unfamiliar, didn't watch the cartoon in the 80s and the 90s, Boo is a giant pink monster. Um, he's very obese and he nearly dest- and he's a giant obese pink monster with the sensibilities of a toddler and he nearly destroys the universe because he's turning everything into cookies so he can eat them. And that's an amazing build.
3: That sounds delicious.
2: <laughs> but amazing. I thought about it some more and I ended up with Q from Star Trek.
0: Oh! You yeah! oh, knew it. Ah, I I, it. Oh my
1: gosh. I Melody called I that. That is so amazing. Mad. Now All I have right. to think of another one.
2: She called it that I would have it, or yes. she called it it Yes, not. I yes. said I was
1: going to do that, but I was like, oh, Josh is probably going to
2: be uh, Josh is going to pick you. true, because Josh has nothing else, and <laughs> Q is fantastic.
1: Q is awesome. It's the best answer, so you win.
2: I have That's no idea guy. what you guys are talking Thank you very about. This is ridiculous. Because you're dumb. Well, go watch Josh. The Next Generation.
0: Josh, describe Q, though, for the listeners of the podcast who may not know who Q is.
2: Q is a member of an omnipotent race who occasionally just shows up out of the blue on the Enterprise and essentially bothers the crew by toying with physics, toying with reality, toying with time. And essentially, any time that the writers writers of Star Trek wanted to do something, wanted to explore some concept that would stretch even the limits of belief on people who are watching a show that's set in space in the future with phasers and tricorders, they would bring in this omnipotent being and he would be able to do it because he can do anything. And so the concepts that they're able to explore using that tactic get really interesting, and having the relationship between him and Picard, who's trying to keep control of his ship and of his own brain when he really can't control any of it, and John DeLancey playing the character as well as he does, it's, sorry, John DeLacy, um, it's just fun any time Q is in an episode, and he was in you guys can probably tell better than I can he was, I'm think thinking like around maybe 7 film. to 10, okay sounds about right yeah, so no, go he, watch those episodes hey are we still he talking book-
3: about Star Trek?
2: I'm just curious
1: shut up <laughs> Listen, he <laughs> is one of the best villains of all time he
0: bookends or the not. series the next generation, he puts humanity on trial for the entirety of the seven seasons of Star Trek the next generation, and it is Spectacularly well done. Yes, indeed. Good job, Josh.
3: Well done, sir. Nice Thank you very much. Glad
0: <laughs> okay, Chad, favorite villain of all time?
3: I don't have a favorite. This was difficult. Maybe I have one. I don't know. But I misunderstood the question a little bit, so I picked one for each medium. I did like game. Ah, and stuff. So I'm I'll just sorry. rattle through those real quick. So uh, for game for me, and these weren't my favorites. I was just trying to think of... Villains where I actually had like some sort of visceral response to to them in whatever way that it was. The first one for me uh, for video games would be Andrew Ryan in Bioshock. Um, The original Bioshock, I remember. No spoilers. No spoilers. But there's there are moments in there where I was like, oh, this is this is great. Um, Would you kindly? Would you kindly? Would you kindly? Yep. On TV, I had a lot to choose from on TV, but recently I couldn't recall a character that I hated so much that I wanted to physically assault them in person and that's uh, Joffrey Baratheon from uh, Game yes. of Thrones yes. um, but for movies I had I had three quick ones. One is Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men freaking amazing. Two is Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards but my top one if I had to pick like one favorite of all time it is also in my top you know, two or three movies of all time. It's Bruce the Shark from Jaws. He's the greatest, and he will eat you. So <laughs> yes. that's it. There's no See doubt. You know. I was terrified of Bruce as a child. So there you have it. There you have it.
0: That's good. That's good. I like that a lot. All right, Melody, for you.
1: Oh, man. I mean, like, I had my answer, and Josh took it. So my I'll second answer. You. No, no. Q is the right answer. So all right. My my second answer. I can't decide between... Hannibal Lecter and the Joker. I think I'm going to go with the Joker from The Dark Knight. Heath Ledger's performance of the Joker. I think that is like I mean the the character is is written very well, but I think his performance um of it is stellar. The mannerisms and the way that he portrays the character is very distinguished, like very iconic and I don't think um I don't think anyone else would have played it specifically that way, and it's just very memorable. And so I will go with Heath Ledger as the Joker since I can't go with Q.
0: Nice. Okay, so I decided to go a little bit different and um, not choose a villain that maybe everyone is familiar with, but one that had a huge impact on me while I was experiencing it. Uh, There was a video game that came out. I can't even remember when. It must have been... Uh, early two thousands, or maybe even in the nineties. It maybe was later in the nineties. Called Metal Gear Solid, um, and in this game, there was a villain called Psychomantis, and Psychomantis was incredible because he could read your mind in the video game, um, and what he told you about yourself was. Kind of scary. So as you're playing the video game, the psychomantis character begins to tell you the video games that you've played, uh, and he says, "Ah, oh, I see you've been playing a lot of Virtua Fighter, or you've been playing a lot of whatever." And I'd been playing those games, and it was like kind of creepy. Um, and then the the guy who's like um, talking to you, walking you through the, the experience you're having with a villain trying to help you out. He's like, Psychomantis can read your thoughts. You need to move your memory card from slot one to slot two on your PlayStation right now so he can't read your thoughts anymore. And I was like, what? And in order to beat him, you had to physically get out of your seat and switch the memory card from slot one to slot two so he could no longer be reading your thoughts and your memories, which were obviously your saved game files, and uh, and that's the only way you could beat him. Uh, and it was just one of those incredible moments where i have never seen a video game do that before, where it actually had me do something, and then later on in the fight you even had to grab the physical... Box that the uh, the game came in, and look on the back, and there was a number on the screenshot of one of the things happening in the game he had to put that number in in order to be him because he couldn't see what was outside of. Uh, the video game uh, world so it was just incredible like breaking the fourth wall talking to you and actually making it feel like he was actually attacking me as the player and not just kind of me being away and you know some you know virtual world that really didn't have any impact on me so that was a really cool moment for me in video games and something I'll never forget Psychomantis,
3: Metal Gear Solid awesome are we still talking about Star Trek <laughs> shut up <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for our last jump cut, I thought we would just go around the room here and talk about what, if anything, related to entertainment news, film TV, whatever it may be, uh, has got you guys thinking or excited this week. So uh, let's start with you, Melody. What's, uh, What's on your mind these days?
1: Well, I do have some news to share. I'm sure you guys have all heard it. But I was, I don't know where I was, somewhere at a party this week or something, and I heard... This whispering of a rumor. So I looked it up and apparently George R.R. Martin is committed to writing or being somehow a part of a new show for HBO. It's called Captain Cosmos. And the pitch is, at the dawn of the age of TV in 1949, a visionary young writer creates a science fiction series that tells stories no one else will dare to tell. It doesn't necessarily sound like what I would think Martin would do, but uh, George R. R. Martin is um, the, the writer of Game Song of, of Ice and Fire, oh, Game of sorry. Thrones. But I'm, I'm sure lending his name to anything uh, at this point in his career will be beneficial financially to, to him, him. So, <laughs> right. uh, I, I hope the show will be good, because, I mean, if it's HBO, it's probably going to be good. But um, he's still in the midst of writing uh, the latest book of Song of Ice and Fire, so hopefully he will commit himself First and foremost, to that which actually the article I found. The article I found said he is very committed to it and has actually canceled some speaking engagements so that he can write it. Uh, So, right away, Mr. Martin, and hopefully he'll have something to add to Captain Cosmos as well.
3: Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Chris, what about you? One of my
0: very favorite books that i read last year uh ready player one is being made into a major motion picture directed by none other than steven spielberg the book is called ready player one and it is perfect for spielberg because a lot of the references uh in the book deal with steven spielberg properties so back to the future which he produced um indiana jones Uh, I mean, all kinds of just pop culture references from Steven Spielberg's uh, movies. Steven Spielberg is even a character in the book. And so I really feel like it's going to be the perfect melding because there's a lot of people who are very concerned about Ready Player One being being turned into a film because there are a lot of um, IPs associated uh, with it. Uh, There's a lot of... 80s references and brands and movies and characters and stuff. And I feel like Steven Spielberg, with his weight, can really make those deals happen and bring the world of Ready Player One to life. So I'm excited about this news, and I cannot wait to see the movie.
3: That's cool. I just downloaded that book based on your recommendation, so uh, I'm going to start reading that very yeah. soon. I've,
0: I've got three or four friends who are in the middle of it, and uh, one of them came up to me Sunday um, and was just like man, I've only started the, uh, the, the book I'm about you know two or three chapters in and it is amazing and it really is. It's got one of the very best prologues in any movie. I mean, any book I've ever read. It's really great.
3: Cool. All right. Josh, I can hardly contain my excitement mm-hmm. to hear what you are excited about related <laughs> to the world of entertainment. What is it? I am very
2: s- sad to let you down but not a whole lot of entertainment news has come across my feeds this week. So I will go instead to something I saw on an ad recently that made me happy. And so this is more of a PSA than actual breaking news, but season two of Silicon Valley starts this Sunday. So yeah. set your DVRs.
0: <laughs> yes. There you go. I
2: hope they can sustain it.
3: Good. Nice. Very good. That definitely qualifies. I have not started the first season of that yet, but I'm going oh, to watch, man. It. I know, watch I know. it before Sunday. Yeah, you should. I, I, I'm not before Sunday, but, uh, but I am definitely watching it.
0: Um Daredevil comes out next week too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I
3: just started Bloodline. It's got on Netflix as well. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I don't that. know what we're talking about. No, not yet. It's a uh it's an original series, thirteen episodes. It's it stars Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights. Just Google the trailer. It's a it's the Netflix original series. The first two episodes are really very good.
0: Anyway. I've heard it's a slow burn though, that it's very like you need to be like committed to it. Is I, that I'm not? I don't kids? know. I mean,
3: I'm through the first two episodes and it I mean it's it's definitely a... Uh, it's like a mystery drama kind of thing. So, yeah, if, it's, a, it's a lot of people talking and acting, but I dig that stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty good so far. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Awesome. We'll see. Um, what I am most excited about this week is not uh, anything breaking or new, but it was new to me. I saw this, the trailer for the film Southpaw. It's a movie about a boxer starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And um, I hadn't—I literally knew nothing about this at all. And I just was randomly online and saw somebody put a link to it, and I watched it. And it looks fantastic. Uh, it looks like a, a combination between like Rocky and Warrior, as far as like the realistic—or not the realistic—but the fighting aesthetic and like the gritty kind of storyline. So, uh, and the performance looks great. Jake Gyllenhaal really had a huge physical transformation to take on this role. Uh, so anyway, I would, I would recommend everybody go check that out. And then just uh, to wrap things up, I don't know that I'm excited about it, but I am looking forward to the conclusion of Mad Men. Uh, the first of the last season has just started, so I think that that's going to that's gonna be good. The
2: first so, episode of the second half yeah. of the last
1: season,
3: yeah, because so, we're milking this for all it's worth.
2: There you go. There you go.
3: And welcome uh, to AMC.
1: Welcome to the main event.
3: For this week's main event, we're going to talk about Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. IMDb description of Going Clear is an in-depth look at the inner workings of the Church of Scientology. Directed by Alex Gibney for HBO, with such a high pedigree, I think there's a reasonable expectation that this is going to be high quality, well-researched, and uh, highly controversial, kind of the the recipe for a cultural phenomenon that has really kind of taken over Twitter and the world by storm uh, when it was released a couple of weeks ago. Alec Gibney has directed some very high-profile documentaries, Taxi to the Dark Side was an Academy Award winner, Enron the Smartest Guys in the Room, and now he turns his attention to the church, quote-unquote, of Scientology. So, guys, uh, this is one of those things where we actually had a discussion before we started about should we even talk about this movie because we know how uh, powerful the Church of Scientology is and they could be listening. And my name is Josh Ziegler.
1: So, uh, send we, your hate mail to Brian Williams, 30 Rockefeller Center.
3: With that in mind, uh, <laughs> I thought we would go through just very quickly uh, and give our general thoughts about the movie, and then we'll jump into spoilers. Although, this is one of those things where here's a spoiler: it's a documentary. The Church of Scientology is crazy. So, uh, <laughs> let's. Let's uh let's just let's I tell you what let's just forgo the spoiler section it's a documentary and let's just let's just say if you haven't seen the film you should probably go see it before you listen to this review and we'll just jump in and just How give, how give could how
0: could one watch this movie by the way it's on HBO It's not yeah. in the theater you can No that's just... right
3: HBO Go you can stream it uh HBO Now I don't think is ready yet but it's coming soon um and so it's definitely there so either do that or borrow a friend's password so. and
2: it's probably playing like every night on HBO oh. I dvr or rerun of it. HBO plays these constantly.
3: Yeah, there you go. There you go. So with that in mind, Josh, what'd you think about this film?
2: Well, all those things that you said at the beginning, you know, it was well-produced, well-researched, um, controversial, all those things. It's, it's interesting. Our last episode, we're coming off talking about another HBO documentary, um, yeah. The Jinx. And so I was, while I was watching this, I was kind of contrasting the two just as documentaries. And I found this one, even though we had the discussion about the jinx, about how is it really a documentary? Is it a miniseries? You know, what really is it? But I found this one a lot more effective as a documentary. It's, It's an adaptation of Lawrence Wright's book, but they went, they really went the extra mile in producing this and getting a whole lot of footage of way back from L. Ron Hubbard, from L. Ron Hubbard's, you know, like formative years when he was just kind of coming up with all of this. And there's a couple of clips in there towards the very beginning that I wondered, how did they even get a hold of this? Where was this archived? Yeah. Like the cult that Hubbard joined before he came up with Dianetics or anything like that. They that had this video of this actress. Yeah, what what was that? and where what is this video so anyways that it was all very well done they could have relied on interviews and they could have talked to the author of the book a lot more but they didn't go back and do cheesy reenactments they had real historical footage obviously there is no historical footage of robert durst killing people but you know what i mean and so anyways i really enjoyed the documentary there was a lot of information that i knew already and a good amount that I didn't, and it's just like, wow. And we, we can talk later about, you know, the specifics of the content, but as documentary goes, I thought it was really great.
3: Yeah. Okay, Chris, what about you?
0: Yeah, I agree with Josh. Uh, it was fascinating. I, I'm very familiar with Scientology. I've done a lot of research myself, seen a lot of their videos, and um, read several of these um, whistleblowing books that have come out over the last several years. And, you know, what's interesting to me is that there was a lot of points in this documentary that we didn't already know, that somehow Alex Gibney was able to uh, uncover and present to us, like that fact that L. Ron Hubbard was a part of a, what was it described as a satanic? um,
2: It was definitely a satanic cult. I can't remember the name of it.
0: Yeah, I can't either. But it's you know it was it was led by a very famous um, guy who lived in in England and it's just some crazy stuff that kind of gives you an idea. And then also going back with you know a lot of research on several of his early science fiction um, articles, books, um, whatever you want to call them, with a lot of callbacks to things that are now a part of Scientology's theology, like. You know, Thetan and the idea of going clear and all that kind of stuff was actually in some of his science fiction before it ever became a part of his, you know, overall theology for the Church of Scientology. And so a lot of this stuff I didn't know, which was pretty fascinating for me just because I felt like I knew a lot of it and I just wanted to see it presented in such a, a wonderful way. Um, and for me, it was. I've already, I watched it twice already, I, and I had a friend over um, who we started talking about. I was like, "Have you seen it?" And he's like, "No." I'm like, "Well, let's let's watch it." And I'm telling you what, his he knew nothing about Scientology other than it just was a weird cult that Tom Cruise was a part of. And throughout most of the film, his jaw was open. He kept looking at me, saying, "Is this real? Do they, is is this really what they do?" And I think the most the most shocking stuff is not exactly what Scientologists believe but more how they act and what they do to those who believe what they believe. Uh, and that is what's really kind of shocking about the about the documentary. So I, I, I in, as a film, as a documentary, I quite enjoyed it. There are some, it, it, it drags in a few spots, and there are actually quite a number of dramatizations that I could have done without, um, that I felt like did actually take away from what kind of was really going on. Um, specifically like, uh, anyway, we can get into that later. But I, I, overall, as a film, I quite enjoyed it just because I love the subject matter and and find it horrifying and fascinating.
3: Yeah, okay. Melody, what did you think about this movie?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a very effective documentary. I think it does a good job of staying serious about the subject matter. I, I think that the issue of Scientology is something that is very easy to make fun of, you know, as a mockery and I think it's also easy to sensationalize it. Um, and I, I'm sure that happens a little bit in this. It's hard kind of not to because it's so out there, some of it. I, you, you can't help but just be very disturbed at, you know, the footage of Tom Cruise and all, all of that stuff. So I, I think the documentary does a good job of being serious about the subject matter, kind of just presenting the stuff that the people that like, people like Chris who who find Scientology very intriguing um, know all of this stuff, right? We know all of this stuff. But having it packaged together in this way, I think, is a good chance for it to be made more public. Like we've said, I don't think there was a lot in this movie that I didn't already know. But there was some stuff that I I guess I ha- I'm not as into... Researching Scientology as Chris is, so there's some stuff that I that I didn't know about or had only heard little bits of, but hadn't seen like the actual actual interviews about like these guys being in in the hole for years. Like blows yeah. my mind. Like I yep. I just don't understand. Like I just don't understand why I'm not um, wanting to leave. Yeah, like to, like you know the guy was I don't remember which one of them, but he's like if you know if somebody came in there and and Tom said you were free. And go, like, nobody would leave. Like, literally nobody would leave. Like, yep. I, I just it's don't even understand. Syndrome. Yeah, I, I guess, or something. But um, it, it's very intriguing. It's very disturbing. And I think that the film is a good chance for more people, more of the general public, to see the, f- the full picture. I'm not sure, you know, if that will change anything. I guess when, when we were watching it, we were talking a little bit about the fact that um the tax issue, like them being a... a a charitable organization or whatever, you know, if that ever gets taken away from them, it would probably destroy them. So, you know, is there a chance of that happening because of this documentary? I don't know.
0: We call that, I think they're now calling that the jinx effect of documentaries. Right, right. If we can, if they, you know, if the documentary drums up so much interest that it's able to affect real world change, and that's one of the ways that we can change it.
1: Right. So, but it it was very intriguing. I agree with Chris. It did drag a a little bit in a couple of places. Overall, it was uh, obviously a very well done documentary. Very interesting and disturbing.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't have anything really new to add to that conversation uh, just when we're talking about it from just a a purely technical standpoint, except to say, you know, one of the things that I admire more, just about more than anything when it comes to documentaries, and I am a lover of documentary films. I, I watch, I mean, conservatively. I watched twenty five or thirty documentaries a year, just everyone I can get my hands on and it, it it's a real art to be able to create these stories from you know real world situations and specifically the art of using a talking head as your essentially your narrative backbone and, and just from a purely technical standpoint making those talking heads look beautiful and interesting uh, is really difficult to do or can be difficult to do and i really appreciate it about this is that this looked like, this was a beautiful film it looked mm-hmm. great everything about it was just just top notch which which you would you would expect with hbo and this filmmaker but even at a high standard to me i thought this one was was really really very well done Interesting, again, not revelatory if if you've know a lot about the church, but certainly kept my interest all the way through. So, it sounds like we're all positive on that. Let's let's delve a little bit into this, and we don't, and let's say this, you know, to be respectful, you know, we don't want to turn this into just uh, you know thirty minutes of us bashing on the Church of Scientology. But but I do want to talk about some of the some of the things that maybe we found uh, interesting or intriguing uh, in the film itself. One of the things, Melody, you talked about a little bit, is I, I was fascinated with the war on the IRS that the church waged. Mm -hmm. I I was not aware that they had done that, where they had—I don't remember the exact number, but they had thousands, thousands of lawsuits against individuals in the IRS, and essentially in a backroom deal— the irs to make that go away said okay we'll give you your tax-exempt status now i have worked for a nonprofit religious organization in my life and i can tell you that tax-exempt status comes with a lot of pre-qualifications when we're bookkeeping every year when you're audited you have to have certain things to you know to to keep that status so for me i was shocked that they don't do really what they're supposed to do as a church to maintain that status and have been able to keep that up this year did you guys know about that part of the story oh
0: yeah no absolutely in fact that's a big part of the going clear book (laughs) like that is one of the things that like gave david miscavige the current leader of scientology all his power because like i say in the documentary now they can use any funds that come in for you know, basically anything they want to further the the cause of the church, and they've become one of the. Mo- I think they're the second most powerful as far as wealthy as far as real estate goes um, in the world of churches. So right behind Catholicism, the Church of Scientology owns more real estate than any other religious organization on Earth, and that's pretty crazy. I mean, that's been their their where their power is and what they do. From and if you, you put, know, that from in, several years. put
3: that into perspective. Uh, I found it fascinating that they have less than 50,000 members, right? And well, yet, they no, claim, they no, claim millions.
0: They claim millions, but from what people can actually count, there it's about 50,000, yeah.
3: Okay. So less than 50,000 around 50,000 to have that amount of wealth in the billions of dollars. And then you have other religious organizations that have millions and tens of millions that don't even have a fifth of that, tenth of that wealth. Sure. Uh, it really goes to show you kind of where the priority uh, priority is also one of the things that I thought, say what you want to about L. Ron Hubbard. The man was right when he said creating a religion is a way to get money and and to build wealth and it 's really brilliant this whole auditing process where they essentially come up with uh, just walls and and full of files about people 's deepest, darkest, innermost secrets that they then can turn around and use. Uh, to keep them into the church or to keep them in line, specifically as it's related to John Travolta. Chris, I know you've read the book, but that was one of the things that caught me completely off guard, because it's a well-known secret in Hollywood that John Travolta's sexuality has been questioned. And so it's one of those things where it kind of led you to believe that in order to keep that under wraps, he was willing to stay with the church, even though he probably would have gotten out a long time ago. I thought that was crazy.
0: Yeah, and I think he's never really been all that open about Scientology. In fact, that that clip that they found of him talking about it uh, is one of the very few times I've ever seen him really openly give a lot of praise to Scientology other than just saying, you know, Scientology changed my life and it helps me, blah, 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 and then they move on. But him actually diving into it, and he, he's never been all that outspoken, not, not, not like Tom Cruise, who has you know, become you know the mouthpiece, almost the second in charge of the church for the last several years. But that is horrifying to think that perhaps John Travolta feels trapped inside of this organization because if he really becomes critical or has second thoughts— there are secrets that he's told sure. for years and years and years that could easily be used against him, and they do. Scientology uses them against anybody they see as, as being a suppressive person, somebody who might go uh, against or hurt the, the church. Uh, it's just it's it's crazy to think.
3: What did you guys think of the uh, some of the footage from some of their meetings and rallies?
0: I'd seen most of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'd seen whenever, I, I don't know, the Tom Cruise stuff, I don't remember when that first came out, but I remember just being like, that was like what first opened my my eyes to how very weird and disturbing uh, these people are. It's just like yeah, salute saluted, that saluted the picture, saluting the picture, and just like the weird laughter and like because I'd seen that that Tom Cruise interview about it too, and just oh, it's creepy, it's super creepy.
3: Agreed, agreed. So, is there anything else that we want to say about the documentary in particular? I'd like to talk just very quickly before we go uh, finish the main event about. The church's response oh, to yeah. the film, which is very interesting as well. Mm.
0: I, I just, as far as like filmmaking goes, as like a like a a piece of film and, and of art. I feel like I'm, I'm I'm glad it exists now because for the very for a very long time on YouTube and you know various blogs, I mean a lot of people trying to get this information out, even you know books and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like HBO was willing to take a risk because we've already mentioned this, but you know, if you've got how many, did you say um, lawsuits against IRS, Josh, 24, 24000 24,000 24, is right. Awesome. Um, the same thing is happening to HBO and, or could happen to HBO and has happened to various blogs. Um, you know, people have put these videos of L Ron Hubbard up and because they're protected by religious um, law, uh, YouTube whenever they get anything from Scientology any what they consider to be hate speech or whatever they have YouTube take it down so like you you heard in the film one of the actors talking I think Michael Bean or not Michael Bean, uh Michael whatever his name was talk about how he put up a, a YouTube video of an interview with him and it was taken down a couple of days later by the church and so it's been very difficult to be critical um, without being worried about being sued and HBO took a, a, a gamble and and actually put it out there. Even the filmmaker, Alex Gibney, talked about the fact that he went to CNN, um, all these news outlets, all the news clips he used for this, um, for this film, and they wouldn't give him the rights to use this in his film. So he just used it in, because it's a part of fair use. But mm. CNN wouldn't give him the rights because they're afraid that Scientology would sue them for allowing them to use the clip in going clear, which is insane to me. That doesn't ever happen. And Scientology is so powerful in that way to pull down media, to pull down information. And and I'm, I'm really amazed that HBO even did this because, you know, they're quite powerful and can, can really, really hurt you if you go any critical, anything critical about them. So I'm just glad that as a piece of art, as a piece of film, they were, they were willing to take the risk and the chance to do this. And, uh, it's it's quite amazing. It really is. I'm I'm glad it's there.
3: Yeah. After the release of the film The Church has a Twitter account called Freedom Media Ethics, which only has 703 followers, really went on the offensive to try and discredit all the people that were in the film and they promoted these posts. Some of the some of their tweets were actually about click here to learn more about the Church of Scientology, but then they became very personal. Examples where they had pictures of a movie in the trash can. The filmmakers are uh, child molesters and uh, abusers and trying to elicit sympathy and just took a picture of a guy falling asleep in an empty theater and said you know the film is boring and just it was really yeah. unbelievable like a like a, a teenager would do if they were trying to insult someone
0: well I mean uh, this is we, this is a part of their their belief system is right. what they call fair game
3: yeah they go they go to war
0: yeah and I mean another thing they did is they put this um, on Freedom Mag you can go here, freedommag.org which is the Church of Scientology's kind of propaganda magazine. They have a 10 minute documentary on every single one of the people that he interviews um, so Marty wow. Rathbun uh, his, the, the, they all have subtitles so Marty Rathbun a violent psychopath Mike <laughs> Rinder who is another one uh, a lady killer Spanky Taylor the drama queen right. um, Jason Beeg, the raging bully I mean every single one. there's tw- I think there's they even did them for the ones that were in the book because they didn't know which ones he was Alex Gibney was going to use for the the film. Right. So they did like 12 or 13 of these and just literally 10-minute long just everything that's character bad about these people. Yeah, yeah. character assassination. Just, you shouldn't trust a thing they say because of this. It's so, like you said, childish. It's exactly what a child would do yeah. to attack someone. It's just insane. It, it
3: would be funny if it weren't so sad because ultimately at the root of all this is you have people – that are looking for answers to whatever it is that they're looking for in their life that, where they're feeling unfulfilled. And it, it's it's very sad. It's very sad that very, people can be uh, emotionally manipulated and financially ruined in some cases uh, just in pursuit of the truth. And obviously the Church of Scientology doesn't have the market cornered in that regard. I was uh, going to say. But it, but it definitely seems that their entire structure is uh, is based on trying to get as much loyalty and or money from the people that, that participate. It's, it's really something, and I agree with you, Chris, it's definitely good that, that this piece exists in the world so that people can at least um, have the conversation. Have the right? conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, anything else? Any thoughts? Should people see this? Yes or no? I, I feel I like Josh we're... has
0: been very, very quiet over there. Mm. I don't know if there's...
2: Well, Chad was the one who said we didn't want to spend 30 minutes bashing Scientology and then we... Proceeded to spend 30 minutes bashing Scientology, no, which no, is I fine. I mean, I feel like we, we could be way them, harsher.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah I, 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 again, I tried to talk about you know what I found interesting about the, the the movie itself and why I was glad it was why it's there. Again, you know, I I, I, could, I know a lot about the church. They live literally in our backyard. You know, we live about an hour.
1: I don't think we should tell them in where we live. minutes ah, la, from, la, la,
0: from Clearwater, Florida, which is their <laughs> mecca. You are
1: insane. You've lost your mind. So any- cut this out.
0: <laughs> no, this <laughs> Josh, will be Is there anything else you wanted to say, Josh? Because I, I would be interested, in just at least, hearing a little bit of of your.
2: Well, you know, I I I'm conflicted because I don't have a lot to to add to what I've already said about the movie as a movie as a documentary. Um, I I have things I would be interested in discussing about. The church and some of its executives, its leaders, but I, I don't feel like this really is the place for that discussion. Yeah, like I, I feel like it could be a lot longer than we even have time for.
0: If you're listening to this, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are. So leave them in the comments on our Facebook or at the actual um, our Screeners Podcast uh, website, and uh, let us know what you thought about it because we'd love to talk with you about your thoughts on Going Clear.
2: The cutting room floor. All right, tonight for The Cutting Room Floor, we have something a little different. We have a game we're going to play, and the idea for this game, in fact, the very format for this game, comes from a podcast that I heard the other week, um, and I would tell you who turned me onto this podcast, but his head is already big enough, stop running the show from behind the scenes, you know who you are. This game comes to us from an NPR podcast called Ask Me Another, which is a fantastic wordplay general trivia type show and if you like this game you should really listen to it because it's great. The name of this game is That's Not What This Is About and how it's going to work is I'm going to read a IMDb, an IMDB style description of a movie or a TV show that is going to read like such a description, is going to describe a movie and give clues to the title of the movie, but is going to be about Something completely different from what the movie or TV show is actually about. So as an example, if I were to say Rick Moranis and Bill Pullman star as unlikely suitors of alien debutantes in this charming romantic comedy about a cotillion in a galaxy far, far away, you would say, does anyone know who this is, what this is? I'm so screwed. <laughs> this is not worth any points. Any guess is appropriate. This game is going to be fantastic. (laughs) The movie is Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Rick Moranis, Bill Pullman, Galaxy Far, Far Away, Star Wars. Okay, let's just play. Oh, dear (laughs) God. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be more fun for me than it is for
3: you.
0: Yeah, I can tell already. No
3: doubt.
2: All right. So, question the first. This inspirational tale follows a Michael Phelps groupie on her journey to see him at the Olympic Games. Keep in mind, this might not be normal. Screeners fair. You're going to have to stretch.
3: We titles. let Josh write the questions and pick the movies. This is going to be. <laughs> that's
2: absolutely right. That. This is a. This is a classic. Is his
3: game. This is his game. Is everybody. Classic. Read it again.
2: Michael Ooh, Phelps groupie.
1: I buzzed. Melody. I don't. Th- Wait. I have a question. Actually. So <laughs>
3: you can't I, buzz in to ask a yeah, question. Yeah,
0: that's not you, the first thing you say is what it is. Go.
1: Never mind. I don't know. I thought I knew.
2: Chris. Swim fan? Yes.
1: Dang yes. Oh That's my what God. I was going to say. A... What is wrong with me?
2: We are going to go with question number two. Three friends encounter the thrilling and often frustrating world of corporate real estate as they attempt to find a physical location for their software company. Chris. S- Again. Silicon Valley? Close. But I cannot give that to you. Mm. Sorry. Three friends encounter the thrilling and often frustrating world of corporate real estate as they attempt to find a physical location for their software company. Uh. Three. Physical location. Software. Okay. I'm going to call time <laughs> on this one. The answer is office space.
0: Oh. Uh,
1: office space. Yes. Okay.
2: Burr, burr. Now keep in mind for this next one that it can be movies or TV. Hint. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Question three. This documentary series follows a group of extreme environmentalists as they try to construct a dwelling from recycled Hallmark products. Chris. House of Cards. Yes. Yes. Correct. Chris, you are in the lead with two points. Next question. This slightly fictionalized account of the first time a case of beer was shipped by plane holds the honor of the only film to star a dog as a pilot. Say case it again. Beer. This slightly fictionalized account of the first time a case of beer was shipped by plane holds the honor of the only film to star a dog as a pilot. Chris. Top Gun. Mm, yeah, I would say close, but that's not really close.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's a shotgun approach. It was, a, yeah,
2: it was, it was an answer, and that's better than anyone else is doing <laughs> right now at this game. <laughs> that is a rousing success.
1: Um, it's just t- getting warmed up.
2: Okay, I'll admit this one was a bit of a stretch. The answer is air bud. Air bud. <sighs> oh
0: my oh lord. God.
1: Yes, yes, the dog this dog a- threw me off. Oh.
0: This is in the
2: true spirit of the NPR show. Oh, yeah. Terrible puns are the are the term of the day. Okay. Moving on. Bruce Willis stars in this educational thriller about a chemistry professor who becomes obsessed with the atomic weight of boron. Oh, man. Bruce Willis. Thriller. Chris. Mercury Rising? Um, that has an element in it, so that's not it. Unbelievable.
0: I'm, I'm going to do it again.
3: <laughs> if no one else buzzes in. Okay, Chris. Chris. The fifth element. Yes. Yes. Chris. Chris, you can't go twice. Why? I you knew it. Just because you, you said it. I'm
0: playing the game, and
3: Josh is and making no one the rules. No, that's essentially what's happening. That's true. <laughs>
2: Our unlikely hero, played by Nicolas Cage, draws from his experiences on an unpleasant plane trip. To become the founder of one of the biggest hair dryer manufacturers in the country. I
0: buzzed! I buzzed! I buzzed! I buzzed! I buzzed first. It's right there. You can no. see it. No, I was before
2: you. Melody's I... first. You could no. you could kind of wait until I finish the question, but it does appear that Melody buzzed before Chris. No! No! That's look up. at me.
3: You lose. No! 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 Go, Josh. No, no, Melody. No! 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 But right you know? before that, I did a C. This is riveting radio. <laughs> People cannot see what we're talking about. I know exactly <laughs> what this Josh. is. Go, Josh. Melody before. wins.
0: No, this isn't fair. I buzzed Chris, in.
3: You, you are winning
2: three to nothing. We don't have that many questions left.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Uh, can I answer <laughs> but now?
2: Really, this question was tailor made for Chris.
0: <laughs> I know, I know. I, Me?
1: I, I love th- this movie.
2: Go ahead, Josh. We're, we're going to oh, give this one to Melody Con Air. Yes, Melody. Unbelievable. A young group of friends and roommates decides to serve their community by adopting a dozen pets from the local animal shelter. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> Melody.
1: Animal House?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yes, Melody's getting warmed up. Told you. Okay. Next up. Sean Penn makes news as the first person to run for public office on a pro-calcium platform. Chad. Milk. Yes, Chad. Point for Chad. Okay. I'm on the board.
0: What are the, what's the score? I'm on the board.
2: The score is Chris three, Melody two, Chad. Oh no! Josh I got two on the board. 10. Known as the most inscrutable movie about a dessert, this art house movie follows one man on his search for the true meaning of a la mode. Chad.
3: Oh no! American huh. Pie.
2: No. Ooh, close but no. <sighs> melody.
1: Sorry, I don't know why buzz. <laughs> Life of Pie.
2: Chris, can you steal? S- say it one more time. Can you say it one more time for me? I can use the word in a sentence, yes. Known as the most inscrutable movie about a dessert, this art house movie follows one man on his search for the true meaning of a la mode.
1: You pie. don't have to buzz in, but pie. yes,
2: pie. Yes. We're down to the last two questions. Matt Damon looks for a bargain in this coming-of-age tale that some say inspired Macklemore's <laughs> hit song, Thrift Shop. Chad. Goodwill really? hunting. No. Yes. That's what I,
3: I couldn't I just blanked on it. It's
1: goodwill
0: what? hunting. Yes. How does that How does that even I don't, Oh.
1: Cuz it's goodwill. Get it?
2: Goodwill. Looks all for a right. bargain. Uh, I got it. Goodwill. Oh, goodwill. good deal. Rave shop. It's job, a terrible point. That is the point. Oh man. Okay, sure. last question and we can all go home. Okay. For the finale and I'm just going to say this up front, this is a TV show. Okay. A crippling gambling addiction leads a man to move his three daughters to San Francisco in search of high-stakes poker games. (laughs) What? Really? Say it again. (laughs) We have any listeners that can just call in at this point. The key clues here are three daughters, San Francisco, and poker games. Going once. Going
3: Chris, Full House. Yes, ah. uh, that's easy. Yeah, that's true.
2: <laughs> okay, that's the final score. Good is... job, Josh,
3: on those questions. Good job,
2: Chris. Yeah, that was Josh. really a lot of work Ked you put into. Two, in melody, two, and I quit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, you did a
0: good job, Wait, how Josh. Great. What was my score again?
2: Your score was five, six.
3: Where six. was number 6? You see how he's multiplying? This is <laughs> I, why you lost real, last man. time because you're a freaking cheat. Because
0: I buzzed in before Melody and I should have No, got...
1: you didn't. Chris, you, you answered lost. the fifth element twice.
2: So let's just call it even.
3: That's true. Yeah, listen, cheater. yeah. yeah. minus cheater. 2. Whatever.
2: No. And no one got off his of space, but that's okay.
3: <laughs> let's wrap this
0: up.
2: You didn't give us yeah, enough Yeah, let's time. do that.
0: You're listening to the Screeners podcast.
3: All right, thanks, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this week's show. Special thanks go to Josh for his excellent work in crafting the questions for that last game. Thanks so much. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at screenerscast at gmail.com. Go to Facebook and search for The Screeners Podcast. And as always, if you get some time and feel so inclined, leave us some love on an iTunes review. That's it. We'll see you next week. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to
1: screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.